My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode four of the creative disruption season of the 21st Century Creative, where we are hearing stories of creatives around the world who came up with a creative response to the challenges of the pandemic. Today we meet Amrita Kumar, the co-founder and CEO of Candid Marketing, an innovative marketing agency in India. Amrita had to confront a brutal situation where coronavirus restrictions meant that she and her team were forbidden from carrying out their core business activities. And she had to decide whether she could hold on to the team that she'd spent so much time building up. But in the midst of the crisis, she remembered the seeds of an idea that she'd been wanting to launch for years and decided that now was the time to go for it. Listen to today's interview for an extraordinary story of leadership under pressure and of the birth of Amrita's innovative new business, Mojobox. On a personal note, I realised the other day that a few months ago I passed the milestone of 25 years as a coach for creative professionals. And I decided not to make a big song and dance out of it. You know, we recently had Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee here in the UK. And, you know, I don't think I could top that. And apparently Elton John was busy this weekend anyway. But it is a nice moment to stop and reflect and look back. Because 25 years of helping inspiring creative people who are doing inspiring, creative things. It's been such a privilege and a joy. And, you know, there are lots of different types of work that I've done for a while and then got tired of, or it wasn't practical to continue. But coaching has been an exception. It has held my attention in a way that nothing else has, apart from poetry. You know, I was a psychotherapist for just under 20 years, and it was a wonderful experience. But I stopped doing that so I could have more time for coaching and writing. I used to teach a lot of workshops and classes, and that was great too. And I do love the buzz of being in a room with people. But for me, the problem with training was that after a while, I got tired of saying the same thing over and over. But with coaching, it's different every session. I can't predict what my client is going to show up with. Of course, we have goals and plans, but who knows what new and exciting things have happened in their life since we last spoke? Who knows what brilliant ideas they've had or what new challenges they've had to deal with? Or what will occur to them in the course of our conversation? So it means I have to show up and be in the moment improvise in every single session. And the time flies. You know, I typically coach for two hours at a time, and some people say, well, well, what do you talk about? But really, it's not hard. There's always plenty to talk about, and the time flies. And it's probably a rare thing to get up on a Monday morning and still be excited and looking forward to doing the thing that you've been doing for 25 years. So I'd like to just pause and say a huge thank you to everybody I've ever coached, which at this point is several hundred creatives. And a special thank you to all the coaches and mentors over the years who have helped me become the coach I am today, who in roughly chronological order have been Catherine Kirk, Ray Keedy Lilly, John Eaton, Pamela Gawler Wright, Mimi Calvati, Chris Bilton, Ruth Leary, Brian Clark, Naomi Dunford, Peleg Top, Rich Litvin, 
Steve Chandler and Kristin Linklater. So, before I embark on my next 25 years, I want to share one of the key principles of creating great work that I use with just about every coaching client I work with. When we think of productivity, we typically think about tasks and to-do lists, working habits and routines. We focus on how to make the most of our time on a daily or at most a weekly basis. All of which is great, but if this is all we focus on, there's a danger of getting stuck at the tactical level, getting caught up in the daily round of tasks we end up making decisions every morning about what to work on today, based on what feels urgent or important at that moment, not what will bring us the most fulfilment and success over the long term. If you're serious about your creative ambitions, you should not be making that decision every morning. If this is where you find yourself, it's time to stop and look at the big picture. Crucially, you need to think about your work in terms of projects, not tasks. Because ultimately, the level of your achievement will depend on the quantity and quality of the projects you complete. What do I mean by a project? A substantial piece of work. A book. A movie. An album. An event. A product. A major artwork. Or a collection of smaller works. A single poem or song or painting wouldn't count as a project, but a book of poems or an album full of songs or a series of paintings would. What do we remember Beethoven for? The symphonies. What do we remember Shakespeare for? King Lear, Macbeth, Hamlet. What do we remember Sylvia Plath for? Ariel. What will we remember Martin Scorsese for? The Godfather trilogy. What will we remember Kate Bush for? Hounds of Love. We won't remember them for the tasks they ticked off their to-do lists, only the major works they produced. So once in a while, lift your eyes from your daily task list and your weekly calendar and look to the future. Ask yourself, what do I really want to make? What will fulfill me the most? What do I want to be known for? If you're struggling to answer that, here's the negative version. When I'm lying on my deathbed, what kind of work will I regret not doing if I never get round to it? That should give you the kind of project that you want to focus on. Books, albums, events, movies, or whatever. Next, divide your year into manageable chunks. Partly because our children are still at school, I divide mine into three. New Year to Easter, Easter to July, September to Christmas. Some people prefer to divide their year into four seasons. So three or four months is a good timescale to think in terms of. It's big enough to do something substantial, but small enough to hold yourself accountable. Now it's decision time. You want to pick one project and make that your focus for the next three to four months. Why just one? Because if it's a project worth doing, you will need single-minded focus to push through the inner resistance and the external obstacles you will encounter. And if you're anything like me, at any one time, you probably have several projects that you're keen to get on with. But unless you focus on one at a time, it's hard to build the momentum you need to make it happen. If you try to focus on two or more projects, they will jostle for your attention every day. And each project can become a distraction from the others. But when you have a single project as your main focus, you don't need to decide what to do on a daily basis. Whatever time is available in between your other responsibilities, you simply devote it to your current main project. And 
This saves you a huge amount of mental effort each day because you don't need to decide all over again what your priorities are. And it forces you to stick with the project when it gets difficult and push through the obstacles. It also means you get to live inside the project for an extended period. When I'm writing a book or recording a season of this podcast, I'm inside the book. I'm inside the season for weeks or months at a time, not just the hours that I spend actually writing or recording it. So part of me is always thinking about it and probably figuring things out at the unconscious level. I notice connections in the world around me and in articles and books I read or or even news stories or conversations with friends. And the book or the podcast or whatever it is is all the better for this immersion in the project. I'm not saying you completely ignore your other projects. Sometimes you have to do a little bit here and there to keep them alive, especially if they involve other people. But you should always have a single project as your main focus and do everything you can to stop the others from distracting you from it. And at the end of your allotted three to four month period, it's time to stop and go back up to 10,000 feet to review your progress and consider your priorities for the next period. For example, last year I was working on the funding, launch and promotion of my poetry podcast, A Mouthful of Air. So it was the main focus for my spring, summer and autumn seasons. At the start of this year, it was time to rebalance and focus on the 21st Century Creative podcast again. So I made that my main focus for the spring. Now that it's finished and rolling out, I'm turning my attention to another project over the summer that I'm talking about in the 21st Century Creative Patreon group. And when I reach the autumn, I know I will have several projects vying for my attention. So it will probably take me a while to think through which one to prioritize. So how do you decide which project to focus on when you've got several competing for your attention? That's a great question, and I'm going to answer it in next week's episode. Right now, I suggest you write down the answer to two questions. Firstly, that question about what kind of work you really want to do and be known for, whether it's books or albums or movies or exhibitions or whatever. And secondly, make a list of all the projects and ideas for projects that you currently have that you're itching to get on with. Next week, I'll give you some suggestions about how you go through that list and decide which one you're going to focus on next. If you enjoy the 21st Century Creative, then you might like to know I offer an alternative take on creativity on my other podcast, A Mouthful of Air, where I interview poets about the writing process behind their poems. Here's the poet Mark Anthony Owen talking about why he limits himself to using just nine poetic forms for all the poems on his online poetry project, subruria.com. I just thought, right, that's it. I've got nine forms. Every single thing I write from now on and everything that I revise from the past is going to fit one of those nine forms. And that was it. And the reason I constrained myself like that is because I am quite a uh, scattered person creatively. There are lots of different directions that I could take. Um, I mean, before I became a writer, I did actually want to be a visual artist, for example. So there's, there's other sides to me that would kind of be fighting each other to produce whatever it might be. Um, but when I'm constrained, and this is true as well of my uh, professional life as a copywriter, when I have very little space in which to do something, it forces me to be inventive and creative and to strain for that absolute right word or phrase or image such that with just very few words and very few syllables overall, I can conjure up in the mind of the reader what it is I want them to think or feel or see or indeed hear. 
You can find A Mouthful of Air on all the usual podcast platforms, with a new episode every two weeks, to give you a regular connection to the muse. In October 2019, Amrita Kumar was celebrating becoming CEO of Candid Marketing, an innovative experiential marketing agency with offices in Bombay, aka Mumbai, and Delhi in India. It was the culmination of 21 years of work on the company that she had co-founded with her partner Atul Naf. A moment to savour her success and look to the future. She was full of plans for 2020 and completely unaware of the impending pandemic that would threaten the very existence of the business she'd worked so hard to establish. When Candid started, experiential marketing, also called brand activation, was a new concept in India. Atul described the agency's work as anything which is not mass media. Their team went out into the streets of Bombay to meet people face-to-face, sharing product samples and asking for their feedback. They offered consumers new products to discover and provided valuable data to their clients. Over the course of these 21 years, Amrita and Atul grew Candid into one of India's most awarded experiential marketing agencies, named as the number one brand activation agency in the country by the Economic Times, with a team of over 120 staff and a client list including Bacardi, Cadbury, Disney, Coca-Cola, Vodafone, Dyson, and Uber. Candid's strength is meeting consumers face-to-face, getting products into their hands, and eliciting honest feedback. And, of course, this is precisely the reason why the agency was so vulnerable to the pandemic. Because when COVID struck and India went into strict lockdown, Amrita and her team were forbidden from carrying out their core business activity going out onto the streets to meet consumers in person. In this interview, Amrita tells me the story of how she worked hard to establish Candid and then had to rethink everything in the face of the pandemic. As a leader, she had to make some hard and eventually excruciating choices particularly around whether and how long she could afford to keep hold of her team. And in the midst of the turmoil, she came up with a creative solution to her problems by launching an innovative new service that grew into a whole new business, Mojobox. Mojobox is an online platform that helps consumers discover and experience new products before buying. They sign up via the website, mojobox.online, and for a small convenience fee, they are sent mojoboxes containing a range of new products to try. The value of the products is far greater than the convenience fee, and Amrita's members told her that the arrival of a new box was a little moment of fun and discovery in the long lockdown days. Amrita used Mojobox to help her big brand clients reach new consumers in spite of the restrictions. And in the process, she grew her membership numbers to 270,000 members and kept her own business afloat during the pandemic. Now, she's looking to the future with renewed optimism. Interestingly, Amrita tells me in the interview that Mojo Box actually grew from the seeds of an idea she'd had for years. But it took the pandemic disruption before conditions were right for her to test it for real. This interview with Amrita is a great story of courage, leadership, and innovation in the face of disaster. And 
also of the value of leaning into the future, being ahead of the curve in your industry, because you never know when that innovative and risky looking idea could turn out to be your safety net. Amrita, how did you get started on your creative path? Um, actually, this whole journey of uh, experiential marketing, creative experiential marketing, and what it basically means is interactive, one-on-one, creative way of engaging brands with consumers, um, genuinely happened by accident. Um, I, 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 I did my master's in Leeds. Um, I actually then took on a job in London for a bit mm-hmm. and then there was a work permit fiasco and, um, you know, because the company I was working for lost its funding and my work permit was attached to that company. So I had to come back to India. So mm-hmm. when I came back to India, I started working for, a, you know, dot com. Those were the days where uh, that was the whole dot com bubble and there was right. a whole, whole lot of funding going on. And I mm-hmm. started working for a gifting and uh, e-greeting, uh, web, uh, you know, dot com, mm-hmm. which was, I think, funded by the Rupert Murdoch company and all of that jazz. And I basically had a very bad time and I was extremely disillusioned with the whole working environment in India. Um, and, um, you know, and I was just wondering what to do. Should I look at ways to, you know, maybe leave Bombay again? And um, somebody I knew at that time told me to meet Atul, my business partner now, saying that, you know, he's doing something different. um, And, uh, you know, why don't you meet him? And, uh, you know, when I met him, I realized that he was doing something different. So when he started Candid, and he's the one who actually started Candid in uh, in, uh, 2000, yeah, I joined two years after they started. So when he started Candid in 2000, it was a very simple thing for him. Um, he basically wanted to engage brands with consumers, anything. And but his one line thing was anything which is not mass media, you know, as simple as that. Oh, really? Uh, you know, anything which is not mass media. So it could be literally a one-on-one sampling, you know, standing on the road, or you know. So that was literally the one-line brief how 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 he started Candid, and I joined him two years later, and that's how Candid happened to me, and you know, over. I think what it's 2022. So that's 20 years of Candid. Um, And it's been interesting because he and me are very complementary in nature. So slowly, you know, um, I took over the creative and the client side of the business and he took over the financial and, you know, the whole running of the company. And then after, you know, I think in 19, I kind of took over as the CEO of Candid from him Mm -hmm. because you know, uh, he was busy starting something else, which unfortunately also stopped due to COVID. But yeah, so as I said, I literally stumbled upon it because of meeting Atul. And then it was a matter of finding, you know, one's legs in the kind of work and then making it your own. Because uh, 20 years ago, nobody knew experiential marketing in India. You know, we were literally the first in many, many things in India. Right. So, I mean, I guess I'm curious about what was the thinking behind anything but mass media, because these days that that would seem a lot more obvious than it must have done then, right? Exactly. Uh, I think the thinking behind that, and I know because I, I joined the journey too, was that uh, the big agencies had advertising covered. And, you know, you, you had the Og- yeah. Ogilvy's and, yeah. you know, those uh, Leo Burnett's and also they had advertising covered. And we felt... And that's one of the reasons I connected with Candid is because I obviously did my thesis on this also, is that, you know, there is this whole need of between advertising and the consumer. So we kind of internally, we used to say air cover and field mm-hmm. soldiers, you know, you need the <laughs> air cover through advertising and they, but you need, you need the foot soldiers right. to go into yeah, the yeah, yeah. enemy territory too. So that was the whole thinking that, you know, at the end of the day, mass media does not give you this tangible, you know, feel, um, mm. you know, of the of the product. And, and now it's very easy for me to say, oh, you know, it was all about discovery, but we never even thought about it as a uh, product discovery those days. You know, it was yeah. just the need of 
you know, putting the brand, putting the product in a consumer's hand and they touching and feeling it and saying, okay, this looks interesting. I want to try it, you know. So as I said, you know, we were, we were, we did a lot of firsts. We did these mobile, you know, massive trucks, which we would con- convert them into these floats and we would have live demos and live stations like, and it's crazy because now when I say these things to even people who work with me, they just yeah. look at me and say, oh, okay, you know, either a big deal or really maybe she's just lying about it because it sounds way ahead of its time. But mm-hmm. we've done all of this, you know, so it was just fun. It's fun. I sometimes just go through old pictures and I wonder like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so you really get up close and personal with a consumer. Yes, yes. So. I want to go back and pick up on something you said about as you grew into the role, you you made it more your own. You made Candid your own. Can you talk about that process a bit? Uh, yeah. So I do believe that the client relationships, the kind of work you do reflects on the kind of person you are creatively, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, since I started slowly spearheading and, and Atul was obviously a great mentor and taught me you know he has taught me everything he knows and that's why we worked together for 20 plus years um what ended up happening is the the projects were an echo of me creatively so you know whether it is making a giant installation or creating something technologically it's everything which interests me or my creativity was reflected in the client projects unlike maybe I don't know if Atul was to be help be the head of creative for Candid, maybe his style of creative and content would be different, right, you know. Right. So and obviously the relationships and the brands also reflect that. Um, yeah. you know, I I, you know, the kind of brands I would identify with or the kind of clients uh I would be excited to work with at the end of the day are the ones you end up relate you know making yeah. relationships with and hence doing good work for. And mm-hmm. I believe that's true for every agency, right? At the end of the day, the brands, clients and the work reflects you personally. You it's very difficult to come up with something creatively which is not something you are excited about. Uh, absolutely. I, I think this is so important that you find you find, well, I mean, the way I always look at it is I want to find a client who inspires me because I know that brings out the best in me. Lovely. I always say this isn't a luxury because I know what fires me up to deliver the best that I can do as a, as a service provider. And I think any creative needs to know what, what is it that brings out the best in you. You know, we, you've hit on something which is very important to the way we do business. And I think it drives us every day today also is around, I think, Seven, eight years ago, we had this disastrous project which had like, you know, it was there was no creativity in it. It was just execution and mm-hmm. we had a nightmare. And you know, I, I and I remember I was meeting my dad after a year and I was getting call, I was on con calls at two in the morning, three in the morning, solving fires. Yeah. And you know, and and I just you know, Anthony and we had a chat the next day and we were like, this is not the kind of work we want to do. I think we just need to get off the treadmill. We felt like we are on this treadmill and because we had expenses, we had a big team, you know, you have to take on projects. So suddenly the team and the clients were deciding the work we do and not the joy we were feeling. And we literally took a decision to stop doing projects where there's no creativity, there's no content, there's no technology. And it cut down our business for the first, when we took this decision, we actually created a manifesto. We uh, which now sounds a little naive, but we created a manifesto for ourselves, which, uh, you know, is the kind of work we want to do. And we said, we're all about discovery. And that's the day we said, okay. And I think after that, a couple of months, four or five months down, uh, we lost a lot of business because one, we refused. And second is obviously the the clients were like, when you turned around and say, okay, we'll do this project, but we don't do this project of yours. And they were like, no, then don't do any project of ours, you know, because we want somebody who does everything. And we lost a lot of business. And, but, you know, I think I'm, 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 I'm blessed that we could take that decision. And we kind of, you know, I think it was like work we want to do at the end of the day. And it was, it was tough. 
it's very easy to now say and it all sounds very good, but it was tough. Right. Yeah. Now you're looking back on the success story. But yeah, of course, you know, I always think no, no is a scary word to say, but it can also be a very creative word because when you close the door to the stuff that you don't want to do and you know in your heart isn't you, that opens the door to to do the thing that that really is. But you know, when when the you're looking at the bottom line and you see the impact, particularly at the beginning, it can be tough. So I'd like to fast forward to late 2019, right at the beginning of 2020, just before the pandemic arrived on our screens. Tell me where Candid was at, at that stage and, and the kind of work that you were doing. So 20... October 2019, I think, is when Atul announced me taking over Candid completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had uh, we had two offices, Bombay and Delhi. Uh, we had relationship clients like Bacardi, Cadbury, Disney, you know, like the who's who kind of right. in the Indian market. And, uh, you know, around, uh, I think, 120 people as a team. We, we were an agency with 120 people, 120 plus people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was good. The whole point was me taking over Candid and making it the agency, the creative content and activation agency, uh, you know, and um, that, that was the plan. That was the intent before COVID hit us. And I mean, it's just, you say that was the plan. That was the story. You know, that was the movie you were living in at that stage. Yeah. 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 The, uh, uh, for me, it was uh, it was a career high. It, it, you know, this is an agency I spent twenty years. Well, at that time, eighteen years or nineteen years of my life, and I was just announced that you know Atul is stepping back and I'm taking over. And you know, I was taking over nationally. I started meeting clients and telling them that you know, okay, this is it. I'm it now. No yeah. more Atul in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, started your we in fact we started your planning for the next year. So. A lot of our clients, unlike Indian clients who is first April new financial year, yeah. but the international clients are first, obviously, first Jan to 31st yeah. December. So, you know, in September, October, November, you start planning yeah. projects for the next year. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the planning work for next year had started already, you know, and that's what I was busy in before, you know, COVID came in. So, yeah, we were setting revenue targets and talking about expanding the team. All of that. And, you know, thinking about what you've just told us about where you came from, this was success, right? This was what you had worked for and invested and, and built up. And then what happened? And then COVID happened and it hit us uh, first slightly, you know, a few projects got cancelled and then a few more projects got cancelled. Mm. And, you know, obviously with the activation business, you build what you execute, right? Yeah. The creative and the content bit is a is a small part of the whole billing. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of actual physical production. You know the the manpower who stands in the aisles on the in the stores. You know yeah. the trays they carry, the games you fabricate to engage about brands. So you know, obviously, the billing hit us uh, very badly by Jan, and that's when we realized, okay. Uh, this is serious. And also what happened is, uh, you know, a lot of things we had pre-booked and pre-built suddenly turned to zero. So it's revenue-wise, it hit us in February. And in March, we kind of stood up and took notice and said, this is this is not going anywhere. And uh, we had to have a very, very tough call with everybody where we kind of told everybody that we had to go to 50% salary uh, till further notice. And we were hoping against hope that, you know, this thing will blow up by July, August. Obviously, we were wrong. We were so wrong. And just so that we understand the, you know, the context that you were operating in, what was it because it was so much dependent on face-to-face and interaction with consumers and that that was all restricted that yeah so i'm sure everybody knows about everybody knows about the lockdown in india so it was a it was a well tell us a, a bit because i know we've got listeners all over the world and everyone's got different experience of lockdown and but maybe just paint the picture for us a little so we understand what you were dealing with 
yeah so uh, i think uh, the the lockdown in india was announced i think in march and mm-hmm. um, i think 2020 20, 20 24 but it was literally announced with like no notice no preparation um so in march um, you know i think it was mid march i'm not sure i think 20 or 21st was type yeah. march it was just announced you know the prime minister came on tv and said you know there's going to be a lockdown and in in a in a business where you know when you do activations everything is face to face interaction right yeah. whether it is store sampling whether it's mall engagement whether right. it is events consumer events everything is face to face so suddenly business went zero because you couldn't execute anything you couldn't do anything at all you know so um nothing my team was sitting at home and nothing was done so every all projects were put on pause and hold and eventually cancelled and uh, yeah so and also the thing is that even even after the first lock- lockdown was then relaxed the numbers were still so high that even yeah. if clients would brief us i couldn't risk taking the sending the team out there and getting sure. infected so the fact is that you know you could you just couldn't exec- execute and even if you did execute and i would risk the team there are no consumers out there everybody was home so you know just the physical interface was just not possible and we just went from 100 to 0 and i guess it must have really come home to you what it means to be the leader you know you've been crowned ceo in october and then suddenly you're dealing with this what was it like to be in the hot seat oh i i have grayed i have grayed i have white hairs <laughs> for the last two last two years it, it it's been a extremely draining turmoil filled journey last two years you know uh because like i just shared from the first conversation of the 50% salaries to eventually telling people that we have to let them go we've mm. gone from 120 plus to now 10 people right and you know getting messages in the middle of the night for money and vendors needing to be paid it's been tough it's been really tough and uh you know the fact is that we we carried as many people as we could and for the longest time uh, yeah you know we did we we did as little as possible every month because yeah. we had only that much money in the bank at the mm-hmm. end of the day and vendors had to be paid so i think every day atul and me just literally lived um, you know day to day and the other thing and the worst thing is about about this whole thing and being the leaders it's there's no end date right It's yeah. not like I knew that it would finish so and so date, and hence I have this much money yeah. in the bank, and so I can plan for right. this. And, right. You know, and and clients won't pay outstandings, and it's it's it, it was it was just the ugliest side of business one can ever uh, hope to imagine to run. And you know, when you when you take over an agency, you you wish that you don't do all of this, but you know, just my life the last two years has been the messy side of running the agency that the. interesting side so where did you find your strength to to step up as a leader and do what needed to be done oh i'm guessing internally my business partner atul my friends and family but i think just the fact that you know we've been a very close knit team and it's almost been like at least you know family so mm-hmm. I think the the principle we led with from day one is we'll try and do right by everybody, even if we let go of someone, we let go of them. I, I there is no kind way of letting go of someone. I have realized that, and they will never understand, obviously. And I don't expect them to the journey mm-hmm. which we are going through. Yeah. But I think you know. I think the guiding principle was just try and do the good by everyone as much as possible. So yeah, so it's been tough. I think I I don't think I've handled it very well. I must say there have been part there have been days of tears, anger, frustration, fighting. You know, um, it's it's been crazy, but uh, yeah. 
And going back to the first part of 2020, at what point did you start to think, well, hang on a minute, we actually need to do something quite different here. We can't just wait for the everything to come back. I think uh, what happened is after the initial shock and uh, around April, May, I started reading a lot about, uh, you know, the changed consumer behavior internationally. Um, And um, we've always, uh, as a team, Atul and I, we've always discussed about scaling up sampling to the non-physical world mm-hmm. and many many years ago when we used to discuss it there were always a lot of hurdles to it and one of the primary hurdles being you know digital comfort transactions online and obviously with covid consumer behavior changed um, indians got more comfortable transacting online indians right. got more comfortable putting more information personal details online mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, internet payments, digital payments exploded, obviously, because of COVID. So suddenly, um, you know, uh, I literally went back to all our old discussions and, you know, started thinking about it. And, you know, the thought process was, let me start something. Let me just jump. I'll aim later. You know, let me see (laughs) if there's any seed. Literally, you know, because I didn't realize what we were what we were creating and when we started in june it was literally a checked it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be another company it wasn't supposed to be another product it was just another project to pay the bills you know how do we go out there and tell brands we work with that you know we know that consumer discovery has got limited we know you still need to get consumers to figure you know, to find about, find out about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to discover consumers. Consumers need to discover about you. Aisles are obviously not an option. Um, malls are not an option. So here is something we are trying. Do you want to give it a go? And that's exactly how we started in June. So this is really interesting to me because one of the things I heard, I think it was last year on James Altucher's podcast. I think he had an, it was an economist who was saying that, I can't remember his name, but he said that the pandemic isn't going to change any trends, but it will accelerate a lot of them. So in your case, what I'm hearing is you had this idea for a new way of engaging consumers and, and getting products into their hands, but you were, you were kind of ahead of the curve from where consumers were and maybe where your clients were in India at that time. And then the pandemic kind of moved that curve forward. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, one of the one of the biggest issues in our earlier business in activation was the cost per contact. Right. If right. you stand in a store, you are governed by the amount of people who walk into the store. Mm-hmm. If you are, if you stand in a mall, you are governed by the number of footfalls in the mall. And, you know, and obviously when you create a physical structure, you create a pop-up store or you create, you know, trace to sample food, all of that comes at a cost. So overall activation or experiential marketing is costly as compared to digital ads or, you know, billboard advertising. And that is one of the biggest reasons, um, you know, brands wouldn't spend too much of money also in it because cost per contact was never easily calculated Mm -hmm. because... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's difficult to calculate the secondary exposure and uh, that, and also it's expensive. So that is the reason why we've been trying to think about digital sampling. And like you said, it's just accelerated with, you know, the COVID conditions. And what about clients? Did you find them more open to experimenting and trying new things? So uh, we were blessed to have some relationship clients. So kind of, you know, uh, the low fruits the low hanging fruits were approached first yeah uh some friends some arms of friends were twisted (laughs) um and you know we we put together uh the first edition as we call of mojo box to try it out and uh, we did i think it was a ten thousand edition in just bombay to try it out and we did we did it we 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 started in june and we finished the box very quickly after that and we were like okay this has merit 
Okay, so tell us more about the box. But what is it? How does it work? And, and, and what are the benefits? Sure. So how Mojo Box works is it's an online platform, online discovery platform. Mm-hmm. And a, a consumer needs to go and register on it and give us certain details. The more you interact, the more details we would like of you, yeah. which helps us then kind of understand what kind of products would interest you. You know, mm-hmm. Are you somebody who's a wellness enthusiast? Are you a, you know, are you a mother with newborn kids? Are you a, you know, a foodie? You know, would you like to try food samples? Mm-hmm. And um, how we work is there are two parts to us. One is we cr- create curated boxes with samples. Uh, which could be basis a genre or you know a target audience. So we've we've done I think now sixteen boxes, sixteen editions in total. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you know there's there's a wellness box, there's a men's personal care, there's a women's personal care. And if you want this box of samples to try, and you know we kind of use this line very uh, try before you buy. So because yeah. you just have to. So the box of is is a, the value of samples we try and keep it like almost 600 700 rupees mm-hmm. and we tell the consumer to pay us like 120 130 rupees for courier and handling and logistics so it's almost like a value of 6x or 7x and uh, you know and we uh, you know as an aside we charge to kind of filter the quality of the consumer because mm-hmm. we also realized from our first edition that if you just give it for free, you don't get the right kind of target audience you yeah. want. Yeah. So charging a nominal amount kind of, you know, makes sure that the consumer has skin in the game and mm-hmm. it is somebody who's serious about sampling. Yeah. You know, and so so when the consumer pays, the box is dispatched. We then collect feedback from the consumer. We collect pre-sampling feedback and we collect post-sampling feedback. Mm-hmm. And this is all done online. And uh, we've got very, very healthy rates. We get we get feedback percentages anywhere from 30 to 42% on each edition. That's great. Which I've been told, yeah, which I've been told from brands is a very good percentage because when they do other uh, initiatives, they get 15%, 18%. So, you know, that is something. Uh, we do incentivize feedback with something called Mojo Cash, which you can then use to, you know, it's like loyalty points, mm-hmm. which you can use to buy further boxes. Uh, so feedback's collected. And once you receive the, uh, uh, you know, the box of samples, you get, you fill out the feedback on uh, whether you like the samples, whether you're going to buy them. And we share all of this with the brand. We do not share first-party data. We've been very clear from day one. We don't share first-party data with brands. Meaning your contact details, name, phone number, email ID. So you're not going to get harassed by brands just because you've been sampled by them. And I think that's very important. And we don't intend to also do this anytime in the future. And the reason I'm stressing on this is because, you know, at least people in India know how it is to get just bombarded with messages. And, you know, you've given your number in some website and it's sold right. to 20 you know, right, other people. Right, right, so right. Uh, we don't share first party data at all. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons a lot of brands have also chosen not to work with us, which we are fine with. Uh, but yeah. we do share the feedback. We do share the consumer stimuli. And um, over and above this, we also work with uh, the term micro-influencer. So what a micro-influencer means is they are not these big influencers. They are not celebrities. They are not movie stars. Yeah. Micro-influencers are normal people who we look at are influential in their circle or in their social circle or their area, like if they are a food blogger. And we've just got two criteria. We look for anybody who's got like 5,000 following or an engagement percentage of 10% in Instagram. Engagement means how they how they interact with their audience and their posts, which is easily cal- calculated. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's like a mother who, who blogs about her children, you know. So, so we believe that they, they make more of a difference than a celebrity whom you end up paying a lot of money and then you don't believe. Yeah. Mm. Uh, because they may or may not be using that product. So we've got over three and a half thousand people like these micro influencers who've registered with Mojo Box too. And we kind of use them to amplify the messaging or and talk about the samples and the different 
products one can discover through various editions. So that's also there for every edition. So brands get a huge benefit of just a lot of interesting content being made on social media because of mm. the sampling exercise. And, you know, uh, like I was talking to you about uh, when we used to do activation cost per contact and calculating exposures was a very difficult thing in the offline business. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing was that when you sample a bar of chocolate on a store aisle, no one's going to post a picture about it on social media saying, you know, I got this chocolate <laughs> on the store aisle. But if you get a mojo box, people, you know, make reels and posts and mm. tag brands. And there's a whole lot of social. So the social amplification of the whole sampling process was something. Again, it's very easy for me to say, oh, this was the plan. But I must tell you, it was a it was an interesting discovery we stumbled upon and then built up on it. Well, you know, I always think that designing a, a business model is really about designing a system that creates value for everybody. So you've got the brand, you've got the consumers, you've got the micro-influencers, and, and obviously there's Candid. There's a lot of moving parts in this. You know, it's like, you know, the image that's coming to mind is assembling a watch, you know, the old-fashioned way with all the, the different gears and whatever, because you want you want to get it all moving in in time together. So I, I'm curious, I mean, what results have you got for the different groups? You know, what, how are consumers responding? How about clients and, and also the impact it's had for Candid? So um, we've got, um, I think we started in June last year. So it's been, um, you know, more, a little more than a, a year, a year and a few months. Uh, June, we started in Bombay. We rolled out to the rest of the cities in October last year. So let's say 14 months of complete you know, national presence. We've got 240,000 people who've registered with us. 240,000? Uh, I think that's, yes. Wow. And those 240,000 people have given another 200,000 data of members in their households. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the box may or may not is for the whole house, not yeah. just for you. And you yeah. could be living with your partner, you could be living with your parents, uh, you know, um, which a lot of people do in India. So so we overall, we have 450,000 consumer points to sample to. In terms of brands, I think we've got, as I mentioned, I think we've done 16 editions so far, which is around 220,000 mojo boxes. Wow. And we, we've, we've got over 80 brands who worked with us in the last 14 months. So those are numbers. And um, out of the consumers who registered with us, around 57% are women. So it's not skewed to mm -hmm. a gender, which I love, you know, because yeah. that was the other notion I had, you know, will women only be going for samples and men won't be interested. It's really hard to see, you know, it's almost, well, I, I would say it's almost equal because it fluctuates, you know, someone's... That's great. Yeah. I noticed your Instagram, you have some, you know, boxes specifically for men. Yes, we do. We do. We, you know, it's interesting. Um, so our engagement in our community is really high. And it's interesting how people have like started telling us that you must have these kind of boxes. You must have that kind oh, of box. Really? We weren't planning... Yeah, we weren't planning to do a mother's box anytime soon because uh -huh. we had a hard time um, when we launched it in September, it went by really slowly in the sense that we didn't have much takers to finish that edition quickly. And it took us almost two months to finish that edition. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, maybe new mothers don't want to experiment as much as other people want to experiment, you know. And last two, last month, month and a half, we've actually been getting comments on our post saying, you know, why don't you have brands for new mothers to try out? And we're actually trying to get one together for the end of Jan. So it's been it's been very interesting. So we've got boxes for men right now. We've got we've got a my wellness box, which is, you know, obviously New Year, everybody's into this whole wellness and health thing. So we've got one for that yeah. and we've got one for the household right now. So yeah. We had a party box in December. 
<laughs> of course. With, 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 no. cocktail, with cocktail, yeah, with cocktail mixers and oh, great. Uh, lemonade and all of that, yeah. So. And now it's time for the post-party box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think this is really great because, you, you know, as you've touched on, a lot of the time, a lot of people see marketing as a nuisance, as an intrusion, as a bombardment, but you've actually got your consumers coming to you and saying, can you send us more? And can we have this thing and, and that thing? So it's it's great that you've flipped around that perception of, of marketing you've, you, to get that level of engagement. Yeah. So uh, it, we've got literally two different kinds of people. There are, there are three kinds of people. One who've tried us and never have come back to us, obviously. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we are not an essential service. Right? Yeah. Discovery yeah. is not a primary need for someone, like yeah. ordering lunch on you know yeah. Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we've we've got that and for we realized that was a challenge so we want we discuss we kind of have pushed the bar on um, newer and newer brands so we keep ourselves our editions exciting and that kind of worked because we've got a very healthy percentage of people who've come back and bought more than three four five mojo boxes mm-hmm. you know so um, that's one and second is i think at the end of the day uh, the whole collation bit and the whole curation and collation bit I think is exciting for a consumer because when you get that box it's almost like getting a gift for oneself and you're Mm. sitting at home COVID you're working from home everybody's a little you know brain fried as they say in India yeah Uh, so it's 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 a nice reprieve when you you know you get a box full of samples and you know you it's lots of things to go through and then you feel empowered by giving feedback to the brands. Um, we also then send an SMS to the consumer with a code they can use to buy it mm-hmm. so that they save money instead of paying full price. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, it definitely is an interesting uh, way to experience different brands. And how is it changing Candid? I mean, you've got this whole new arm to your business now what difference is that making a lot um 95 of my time goes on <laughs> really so in a way yeah so in a way um see because with candid how even now right we we had done some projects in october november december and projects started getting cancelled again we had two very large activation planned for january which has got cancelled because of now the omicron surge Mm, and i don't see that changing what's to say you know the next you know variant doesn't come with the letter n obviously but you know um so it's not going to change and and i'll be foolish to think it will so and so the whole team um you know there are there are four or five key members in the team who've actually just literally upskilled and have just started doing only Mojo Box work because I don't see um, activation coming full, you know, full swing anytime soon. So how does the future look then for you and Candid with this new, I mean, obviously it's cost you a lot and we, we can't minimize that or bring back those people, but in the sense that it's allowed you to move forward with an idea that you had on the back burner for a while, and that's now paying dividends. How does the future look for you? I think the future looks interesting. Uh, and, and and it's not a cop-out because for us, we are planning on how to scale up Mojobox more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we have, we've kind of... Um, have a lot of plans for Mojobox. We are, we are launching some new features in the next one week or so where one can make their own Mojoboxes instead of it being a pre-curated Mojobox. Right. And there are many other things which, you know, so uh, we've got a couple of launches of different features lined up in the next three, four months. So I think the future is going to be about Mojobox for us because I don't think people will just come back and, you know, sample how they did also I think that has left the Pandora's box and it's going to the beast I think will be difficult to put it back in. Right. Maybe there'll be a new hybrid behavior, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I I eventually whenever it is and you know COVID becomes like a common cold or a flu, 
I don't think people will just go back to what it was two yeah. years ago. I yeah, think it, yeah. there will be a hybrid version which will be uh, created, and I think MojoBox then definitely has a place in that world, and uh, and that's what we are excited about in creating. Well, you know, I've I've said right from the beginning of this thing. I, my wish is that we all come out of this with more choices than we went in. And to hear you saying you're excited about what you're creating now is is fantastic, considering everything that you and the team have gone through. So for somebody listening to this, you know, we, we can't consign COVID to history yet. We're all still dealing with some version of the challenges you've described and the change landscape you've described. What would you say are some of the biggest learnings that have come out of all of this for you that maybe other people could take to heart in their own their own work in their own business i would say number one is it's okay to go slow um as a person i i get extremely impatient and frustrated you know just the fact that this is stretched for two years is a huge mm. sign of frust- is a huge source of frustration for me and you know even creating Mojo Box or going live with Mojo Box, going live with a feature or it not working or, you know, an addition not going fast. I think going slow is okay is the first thing I would say because it's been a huge learning for me, you know, because in the candid part of my life, everything was fast, 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 you know, like right, get the right, project right. fast, deliver huh. fast, execute fast, give it to the client. The client wants to revert fast. The client wants the pitch fast. You know, mm. everything was in literally a fast forward cycle. And I think the last two years has taught me going slow is okay. You know, in fact, it's absolutely okay. And allow yourself to go slow. I think that is the first thing, whether it's personal or whether it's work. Um, the second is I read this somewhere and I just don't remember where I read it, but I so love it. If you're not embarrassed with the first with the first image or first version of your product or business, you've launched too slow. Um, and I don't remember <laughs> where I read it, but I love it because if now, you know, if you had seen the Mojo Box website or the pages or the clunky way we would take information in June, it's an embarrassment. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad we did it because. You know, I'm just glad we just pushed the car out of the garage, as they say, you know, because Mm -hmm. I don't think we would have reached where we are if I would have over, you know, overthunk, overthought everything at that moment. I think it was very important for it to just get it out of the house at that time, you know. So, as I said, I, I just wish where I read the sentence, but it is so true. It is so true. It, you know, it doesn't matter that it's clunky, it doesn't matter it's ugly. Mm. If you've got a thought process, just go for it and just get it out there. Every surprisingly, the brands have been the most understanding. Clients have been the most understanding in our whole evolution. Really? You know? Yeah. So because everybody's learning. This is nobody I hate using that word unprecedented, so I will not. But nobody's experienced well, this sh- this thing. You no, know, no. everybody's learning. Everybody's going through their way. You know, brands have had factories shut because of COVID outbreaks and stuff. Nobody's gone through all of. It. So it's amazing how much empathy has gone all around. I've literally had a client call me and say that you know, as an entrepreneur, I can just imagine the stress you're through. So if you just want to call and cry. I'm there. Oh, wow. What a great client. I have never, I have never had a client say that to me when I was running Candid, you know? So yeah. it's, it's amazing. That's lovely. So go slow, but not, maybe not too slow because you've got to, you've not got to get it slow. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. No, yeah. All right. Well, I think this would be a, a really nice point for you to set your creative challenge to our listeners. So for anybody who's new to the show, at the end of every interview, I ask my guest to set you, dear listener, a challenge. And this is something that will stretch you creatively and maybe personally in other ways. And it's something that you can do or at least get started on within one week of listening to today's interview. So Amrita, what's your creative challenge? I think we get caught up in 
our world when when we are doing something or we are creating something we kind of get caught up in our world and uh, i think it's interesting to do a stimuli check every once in a while so whether you're a creator or a content person or a creative person or a marketing person i think it'll be interesting to go out and just talk to 10 15 consumers uh, buyers theater uh, art you know gallery owners whoever it is and get stimuli from them and then change something or create something to you know address what they tell you it it's i, I would say it's a great uh, i think stimuli checks and you know we keep talking in marketing especially it's great to talk to consumers but we don't do it enough we just don't do it enough we schedule it to these really big sessions once in a while so it would be nice to just go out there and talk to people I think that's a great challenge and and I think it applies to to the fine artists among us as well as the you know the the commercially focused entrepreneurs and marketers because even you know just a conversation with somebody who read your book or came to your gallery or listened to your music or you know obviously if you're a musician you you're used to getting more live feedback um but I it can make such a difference when you see and you really hear and see the difference it made to somebody so i think that's a lovely thing to do amrita thank you so much for sharing your your very hard won wisdom and it's been an inspiration to me listening and i i love some of the you know i'm going to think about that going slow and be feeling embarrassed that that's something i will certainly take with me where can people go to find mojo box online who who's able to get it is it just for people in india you don't deliver to bristol yes, yet yes right now <laughs> no i we don't deliver to bristol yet but i may <laughs> just send you one <laughs> um, in india uh, well we only deliver to india and we are on instagram at i want a mojo box uh, it's as simple as that I want a mojo box on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Okay, and I'll make yeah. sure we link to that from the show notes. And um Candid Marketing. Uh again on Instagram's uh, Candid and MKTG. Great. And then the website candidmarketing.com. candidmarketing.com. Great. And mojobox.online. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Amrita, and all the best with Mojo Box for the future. Thank you. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGinnis. You can find the notes for today's episode with more about my guest as well as all the backlist episodes at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you will subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and take a few seconds to swipe and leave a rating for the show. If you would like to take the 21st Century Creative Foundation course to help you carve out an original creative career, you can sign up and get the whole course for free at 21stCenturyCreative.fm/freecourse. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm/coachingquestions and answer the questions on that page. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.